Welcome to Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club. If you're into streetwear, luxury fashion, hip-hop, or just really smart human beings, we have a hell of a show for you this week. This is a great conversation with clothing designer and creative director, Chaz Jordan. Chaz is the founder of Anominate, Laundered Works Corp, and Race to Grace. And we will get into how he got started in the fashion industry, sort of the big moments in his still young but really impressive career. Um, the value of just being liked in business, no matter, no matter what your industry is. The role of brands and designers during social protest and upheaval. And we also have a lot of name drops. I'll just get them in there right now. Jay-Z, Karl Lagerfeld, Kanye, Andre 3000, Virgil Abloh, Don C, 2 Chains, Celine. People with the letter C in their name are really popular. A C or K, actually. These are all people that Chaz has stories about, that Chaz has worked with, and they feature in the episode. So check it out. Oh! Oh, oh, there's also sort of an awkward interlude where I just try to start a conversation that I feel needs to be had. And basically, the best way to usually do that is just to, to have it. So we have it. I hope you enjoy this episode of Nice Work. Chaz is the best. You'll see. All right, Chaz, Jordan, really glad you're on the show. Appreciate it. Welcome. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. So I'm just going to jump right in here and start asking you questions. First one is, how many, how many lines do you have? you got like 15 lines. What do you got? <laughs> <laughs> right now, I'm up to uh, too, too active, I'll say, with a subline on the way, I think is the best way to put it. So anominate yeah, and laundered are active, right? Correct. Yeah, uh, anominate and then laundered works corp or shorthand, short form, laundered. Okay. And what's, what's the sub? What's coming? Sub, I've just been noticing, especially during COVID, that a lot of people in the clothing industry are looking more so towards sustainability to a degree, but just going and taking more of a minimalist approach to things. So instead of, you know, the old model of cut and sew garments that we typically use, now people are looking for blanks or white labeling. I guess is a more generic term. Um, so that's, you know, t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, crew necks, shorts are the essentials. And they would then take those blanks, create some type of artwork or graphic, and then apply that to those blanks. But it's much easier in terms of the, uh, the requirements, uh, less barriers to entry, I guess, is the easiest way to put it. Because you can buy, you know, 10 t-shirts and there's no real commitment or obligation that you would face if you were to actually produce those by taking the cut and sew route. Sounds a lot like the super nice club model. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sure. So you as a designer, I don't know if everybody really realizes this. It's tough. You guys really put yourselves out there financially when you put a line together and you have to do the cut and sew route. Can you explain a little bit about the, the sort of the risk that you're taking every time you put a line out? Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't necessarily have the financial support from family or anything. And I was also in college at the time. So it was more so, this, as the saying goes, uh, what is it? Champagne. What is it? Beer budget on a champagne diet. There you go. So it was, it was very much that model. So a lot of people, you know, they don't have the $30,000, $50,000, dollars that it takes to create like a substantial of quality cut and sew collection that you're used to seeing in like, you know, Vogue or Harper's Bazaar or something like this. So the alternative is for designers or just kids who want to create brands to use blanks, which are essentially garments, again, that these companies and factories will produce very much generic 
cut and sew copy that they just run units and units. So when you have, you know, John Deere and Tom Brown, you know, who want to start this brand, they can go to that manufacturer or supplier to just purchase what they need when they need it. It's a very simple DIY-esque model. And the printing on those has gotten a lot more interesting lately too. The, the all over printing on the garments, it's offered a lot more flexibility. Yeah. I mean, what, what we've seen is that the manufacturers and the printers, which are now starting to become aware of the fact that this model is becoming more prevalent than the old school model. Uh, and they're seeing a, a majority of their business is coming from these individuals or these brands who just want, you know, to create and produce 10 to 20 t-shirts, see how they sell. If they take off, all right, let's run 50 to 100. If those sell, let's increase. So they're shifting their business model to accommodate those individuals who are only looking for that type of, um, that type of business, at least initially until they're large enough to where they can start to step out and experiment with the more traditional fashion approach when it comes to producing but now you can get full package blank programs where they will provide your labels content care labels printing to your point mini techniques washes etc and it's very competitive in terms of pricing like extremely competitive so where did you start out with this with wanting to be a designer when when did you know that you had that bug and and what was your we're just backing this up a little bit what was your mm -hmm. process how did you get it all started yeah so the i guess the bug came from when i was a child and my mom who actually just got out of the car not too long ago um when i was younger i had when i say literally every pair of air jordan that has ever been released and multiples of the same jordan like this is no exaggeration uh, I was the only child, or I, I was not the only child, but at one point, I was the first child, I was the first grandson, I was the first nephew, so I have a very large family, so I was essentially spoiled as a child, and just had, you know, all of the latest clothing, all of the new shoes, etc. So I think that's where it really stems from, like my my passion for fashion, I hate that that rhymed. But <laughs> like, yes, for, for lack of better words, my passion for fashion, that's where it came from. So naturally, as I got older and I started to understand more how to put together, you know, different articles of clothing and then later in life, understand that there was another side of what I was exposed to, meaning the luxury side of the, the playing field, then it was just, okay, this is like, there are no limits when it comes to the luxury industry. You can do whatever you think someone will pay for. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, that's where I caught the bug. Just knowing that that was actually something that someone would pay you for, you know, to create something that has an impact uh, that people resonate with because they resonate with you first and foremost. And I think that's a, that's a gem to a lot of my success. I don't necessarily design according to, you know, what the trend is, what the latest color palettes are, because honestly, I've never looked at that to date. And it's just like, I, I feel that I would be, I'd have tunnel vision if I started to look at the same publications, the same trades, the same, you know, all of those things that the rest of the industry follows or tends to look to for guidance because then we would all just start to develop different iterations of the same thing. So my motto has always been whatever I'm feeling at the time, however I feel at the time, that's what I'm going for. And because people follow me and look up to me for whatever reason, as an influencer, as a, I mean, it's hard to use the term influencer now because it's so, so closely associated with Instagram. But mm -hmm. we were doing this stuff on Tumblr. And even before then, it's like you didn't even have anything before Tumblr. So you just actually had to be a cool person that real people knew around the world. And that was your Instagram. Like you didn't see that person until you visited that country again. That's more so where I started. So by the time 
social media and these different tools came into play, it was like I already had a, a, I hate to use this word also, but a sense of clout, if you will, on like an international level. So right. it was very easy, you know, for me to move in and out of those. those Here's worlds. what's not making sense to me, Chaz. So we're talking about pre-social media, you rolling around and, and building up your, your credibility, your street cred. But you're like, what, 23? How old are you, man? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I wish. <laughs> I, I'm, I just made 30 not too long ago. So you've been doing this since you were a tyke. Yeah, 20, let's see, I started working with Kanye's crew back when I was 21, 2010, 11. So that was what, 10 years ago? Yeah, when I was 20. Wow. Wow, that's That's crazy. crazy. Did you go to uh, any of the big fashion schools in New York? No, actually, I didn't. Um, I went to University of Illinois, actually. And my degree is in information and decision science. Absolutely nothing to do with fashion. Like not even in the same ballpark. So Just what was your fashion. what was your breakthrough then? Was your breakthrough the, the, the Kanye connection? Was there a celebrity shout out? I mean, you've gotten a number of celebrity shout outs. Yeah. Um I mean it was it depends on what you consider to be a breakthrough, I guess is is the better way to put it. When did you feel, yeah, I'm here to stay? Well, see, that's also a loaded question. There, there, are different, there are different levels of, oh, shit, I made it. I think I've experienced multiple points of, oh, man, I made it. First one was very first piece I released. This is 2011. It's the night of the Chicago Watch the Throne concert. I released a sweatshirt, which became like Tumblr famous, you know, at that time really blew up. So I gifted one to Kanye, to Virgil, to Don C. And we have like all the photos from this um, when I was just working at the at the gallery in Chicago. So that moment, everyone, all of us in the crew, you know, we wore our sweatshirts to the concert that night. And it was just like, that was the first time I really genuinely felt like this is not happening. I've only seen this on TV and on the internet. And now I'm, you know, like immersed in this. So that was the first one. Second biggest moment in, in terms of, man, I really did this was when I moved to Paris and I finally connected with the manufacturer or the atelier after like three months or so. And I started to produce clothing for the first time at the level that I always knew I could produce at, but had not had the proper resources to execute. So then at that point, I started to produce everything that I had been thinking about up until that point. And when it came out, Complex, uh, Matthew Henson, who is now ASAP Rocky's Mm -hmm. I think artistic or creative director, like he went from complex to now works with some of the biggest A-list celebrities, especially in, in pop culture. And he really reached out like when I first started and just covered every single collection I dropped, got featured. And I think I dropped maybe five collections over the span of like six months, which I had no idea at the time you couldn't do that. But like, I didn't care. Like I, that's what also I think helped because I, I've never followed the rules per se, because I didn't know the rules. So if I thought about, you know, shorts, t-shirt, and a leather and fur backpack or whatever the case may be, I'd drop it and it'd be the middle of June. And people are like, well, why are you dropping fur and leather in the middle of June? And I'm like, well, I just thought it'd be cool. So I dropped it. And um, that worked. Like that really helped the initial success of my first brand from that exposure. So you're dropping outside of the traditional season format. Yeah. Not only that, but just the garments, like the actual garments that I was releasing, they brands were not producing that. For example, I had a t-shirt that was first t-shirt that I sold. Kanye had a line thousand dollar t-shirt thousand dollar long Vaughn t-shirt with no logo. 
So yeah, I thought, okay. I'm wearing one right now. You can't see it. But yeah. <laughs> exactly. So in my mind, I say, okay, cool. If he's buying a $1,000 t-shirt, let me see if I can buy a shirt that he'd buy or that someone would buy for a thousand bucks. So I actually collab with this uh, Tumblr famous model at the time from Canada. She was based in uh, Montreal. So I flew up to Montreal again, like I'm a kid, just idea comes to mind. I just do it. Going for it. So I go to Montreal randomly, never been there before in my life by myself, 20 years old. So I go and we made these t-shirts. They were Egyptian cotton bases, uh, base shirts. And then we hand embroidered pearls on the sleeves. It's kind of like a, an armor. And it was very much in the spirit of Balmain at the time. Okay. We put the t-shirts up 1200 bucks. We said, let's see what happens. So we dropped the shirts, wake up the next morning. We had people who were buying multiple shirts per order. Wow. And we could not produce fast enough because it was all by hand. And it took her, I think, six hours to do one shirt. So that was the aha moment where, you know, I thought to myself, these people will pay $1,200 for a <laughs> shirt that cost us $30 to purchase and her time to actually sew the, the, the pearls onto the shirt. So we were netting at least $950 per shirt. So if you're listening to this and you're a member of the Super Nice Club, you should go grab the $26 shirts that are on the site right now because – they're on to 126 at the end of this podcast. <laughs> if I put my signature on it, you could probably push it to 226. <laughs> I'll catch you in. I'll catch you in. That's, that's really super nice. Okay, yeah. so that was, that was your second sort of, oh, wow, I, I'm, yeah. I've, I've made it. Okay. And then the biggest one came with a nominate. Um, that was still my first brand, Ocaron. Uh, mm -hmm. And when a nominate came, the biggest breakthrough I think I've had in my career thus far, or at least the one that catapulted me to where I am now, is when Stranger Things came out on Netflix. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people that I know personally or that know of that have caught wind of this story to, in some capacity. But I was sitting at home in Hollywood on my floor watching TV. and stranger things like obviously we knew that it was a show coming out and it was very nostalgic and it just reminded me of et honestly um and et was like one of my favorite movies as a kid so i said okay this looks cool i'll give it a shot let's see so i start watching the, the season and i binge the entire season and as i'm watching it i'm like man this girl is cool as shit i'm like okay like she's so badass let me just take her face and put it on a sweatshirt like, you talking about eleven? Yes. Yeah. So this is like when I see people, I want them to see this shirt and understand that this is how I am as an individual. So do not piss me off. I'm super cool and super chill. But if I get to that point, like telekinesis is going to start happening and shit's going to go down. Right. So I did it, and I was going to a trade show in Vegas that following week. And mind you, I've never done trade shows because I just felt, I've always felt that trade shows were just not for me. So I do the sweatshirt. I put it under like a new website. I created the website, made the sweatshirt all while watching the show same day. Get the sweatshirt printed, I think like the following Monday. I think this was a weekend going into a weekend. Get the sweatshirt. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to wear this to Vegas. So I wear it to Vegas and during the trade show, we probably had over 300 people stop me and ask me who makes this sweatshirt. So immediately in my mind, light bulb goes off. Okay. You have to capitalize on this. 300 people just came up to you in Las Vegas in a trade show and they want to buy this. And I said, okay, well, I started selling them without my logo on the back because of the the copyright like I was I was kind of hesitant but it was such a if you don't do this somebody else will moment right. so I'm like all right we'll just fucking do it and see what happens so I did it and the sales were not moving like zero sales and that just didn't compute I had 300 people ask me in Vegas I put it up online 
and now no one's purchasing. But then I said, okay, well, why aren't they purchasing? So then it, I just worked backwards. First off, no one knew what the new company was. They'd never heard of it. So they, they didn't even know where to search for that sweatshirt. Mm. So when I had that aha moment, I said, oh, shit, let me just throw the logo on the back. Fuck it. If they come after us, they come after us. So I put the logo on the sweatshirt as soon as I post it. This is where you can purchase and the sweatshirt. When I tell you that that sweatshirt was $250. I think I had three to 4,000 Instagram followers at the time. We did $1.9 million in like 45 days strictly from Instagram on that one sweatshirt. My God, that's insane. Yeah. I gave one to two chains. He went to the Kanye, uh, it was either the Yeezus or the St. Pablo tour in Atlanta. Then Andre 3000 was also there. So it was oh. the perfect photo op of two chains backstage with Kanye wearing the sweatshirt. Then Andre 3000 is also in this photo. So this photo has now become iconic because no one had known where, um, or no one knew where Andre 3000 was at the time. Yeah, he disappeared. Yeah. Exactly. So you have Kanye, three stacks, two chains, mm. all in this photo backstage. And it was like the perfect photo op. Like you could not pay to have a photo op this genuine and like this spot on. And that's full what exploded frontal. it? Yeah, full frontal yeah. of the sweatshirt. Yeah. And the caption was, um, they they made it seem as if they were discussing like stranger things. Right. And, you know, the media, they'll they'll do whatever they need to do to make a story. So they were saying how this this show is like two chains' favorite, you know, favorite show. And he's like, Man, I've never even seen this show. <laughs> so it was just like I wake up the next day. And, you know, like when you have those moments in life where your phone just for some reason has, you know, 500 text messages and 80,000 emails. No, and you don't know no, why. Never happened. Well, yeah. <laughs> look, when it happens, it is the weirdest thing. So I, I go and everyone's sending me all of these articles and I'm like, what is happening? And it was MTV, I think, uh, Huffington Post, um, Every major national publication you can think of, like at least 20 of them, like big ones, People Magazine, you know, everyone had this article front page, Two Chains, Kanye, Stranger Things. And, and it just exploded. Yeah. That's, it just exploded. That's crazy. Okay. So I can see that being a I've made it moment. Definitely. Even that. then, I still didn't know what it was. It's like, you know, that was one product. And then the trick with designing is you always have to follow up your last, you know, greatest hit. I mean, that's with any entertainer. And so that would be, leads us to this, your next great moment, which is, of course, being on the Super Nice Club podcast. Yes, of it course. It hasn't sunk in yet, but it will. It will. Like for years. <laughs> You'll look back, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're yeah, like sales, sales post June 19th, 2020. We'll take a 10% cut on that. So that's yeah. my sweet segue into acknowledging that we are recording this on June 19th, Juneteenth, uh, Liberation Day. Yes. So happy Juneteenth. Um, is that weird? I'm just going to say, is that weird to hear coming from like a white dude? You know, like, how, I mean, what is the social like, norm around that? I don't care if this is awkward. You know, we just got to figure yeah. this out. No, it's it's not awkward by any means. It's just, it's strange because at my other job, we have, you know, people from every ethnicity and background. Um, yeah, it was just interesting because when the African-Americans in the, in the group chat send a message and say, you know, happy Juneteenth, all of the other ones, you know, respond. So when you have like the the white guys chime in or the white women chime in, it's just like, what are they going to say that will resonate or that will show that they are with us? And 
I know that they genuinely mean what they say, obviously, because, you know, it's, it's part of our, our work culture at this firm, but it is still, you know, like pretty funny to, you can throw jabs if you want. I mean, it, it, it's acceptable in that case. I think that, I mean, coming from just the perspective of, you know, what is the nice thing to do? And mm-hmm. obviously as a culture, we will have this conversation a lot as this holiday, as it will become, I'm, I'm pretty certain, grows and grows. It's just, I think it's nice, even if you're not of the culture that's, you know, that the holiday is all about, to acknowledge it and say, hey, mm-hmm. this is a big day for, this is a big day for you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so happy Juneteenth. It doesn't mean that I'm feeling like it's my day. It means yeah. that I'm feeling like it's a day to recognize, right? Yeah. And we can't, I don't think that non-African Americans, whether you're Latino or white, really expect we can't expect the person that we're addressing to necessarily take it in the quote unquote right way. And if we, right. and if we get insulted because we're like, Hey, this ain't your thing. I think that's a little absurd. We just have to put it out there and just keep putting it out there. That's the and thing. Just, and if you look at that on the flip side, we've been celebrating a lot of the white holidays and everything else for a long time. And we don't think about that, right? The 4th of July, you know, it'd be nice if June 19th were a little bigger because it celebrates when when we all achieved, well, sort of, (laughs) you know, ideally. Not really. It's still a process. But anyway, maybe that was a little awkward, but I did just want to say, Chaz, happy Juneteenth. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. (laughs) So taking today's issues, what's going on in the United States right now, on June 19th into the fashion world, do you feel like the world, the fashion world itself has a role in terms of how it can influence culture? Do you feel there's any responsibility for designers in this moment? 100%. I mean, you've seen us start to slowly take over the entire industry over the past five years. I mean, you have Virgil, in creative director position at LV. Um, you have Matt Williams, who's not African-American, but I mean, he, he was part of our group, or is mm-hmm. rather. He just became creative director for Givenchy. So, you know, it is up to us because people in the youth and the kids, they look up to us uh, like they look up to athletes or, you know, actors and actresses, etc. So we have the gift that allows us to give someone something that essentially turns them into a walking billboard. Mm -hmm. So it's the next best thing outside of that person vocalizing or verbally stating, I support X, Y, and Z. Because if they wear it, then that's 24-7, as long as they're outside, you're pumping that message. So 100% I'm not going to say it's up to us, but we have a strong responsibility to produce, you know, clothing or articles that are appropriate um, for this. And there was a recent article actually that that spread and hit the circuit um, on the amount of money that was being generated by African American brands um, during the the recent weeks. So you know the George Floyd the BLM campaign, you know, the brands that were not necessarily taking advantage, but that were doing it for the right reasons. Braindead, for example, they sold $600,000 worth of one t-shirt. Granted, they gave it all, I want to say they gave it all to the A charity um, of some sort. I think a majority of them did, which is great. So that just goes to show in the matter of a few days, these brands are generating this amount of revenue and money that they're donating towards causes. Which is fantastic. Um, Exactly. I think it's interesting also, what we were talking about earlier about, you know, you're wearing a billboard that says, this is what I, this is what I believe in. And these, these are also conversation starters, right? Mm -hmm. In the public. And they may not start a conversation when you wear it to the store, but it might start a conversation between a couple that saw you wearing the shirt in their home mm-hmm. later on and in their family. You just don't know, right? Mm-hmm. So streetwear, 
And I know there's that big overlap. This is a, a whole different podcast on the overlap and the interplay between streetwear and luxury, right? And what is luxury in 2020 and what is streetwear and all of that. But I think traditional streetwear back in the day, it was, it was kind of a reflection of culture, right? And now it seems like it's flipping around a little bit where, where designers like yourself and others, you know, you get to project your desires. You get to shape your desired culture through what you release. That's, that feels like a lot of responsibility, but also like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is. It's just, it gets tricky because it's a fine line between people exploiting that that power, if you will, and people doing it for the actual joy and the appreciation of the craft. I mean, that's with anything really, but for us, we really, we really just have to make sure we're doing it for the right reason. And you're going to be judged no matter what. And as long as you know what you're doing, I mean, I'm facing that right now with the super nice club. Uh, I think I sent you a picture of the other day, um, put out a shirt, couple of months ago that just says i believe in a nicer world never Mm -hmm. released it because i wanted it to be a giveaway only shirt or something that Mm -hmm. can't talk about right now because it's a big secret it's going to be awesome Mm -hmm. it's a platform Mm -hmm. extension but then everything started happening right and the whole country got uh activated right Mm -hmm. and somebody started asking me about that shirt and so i threw it out there but i got to tell you putting that shirt out there with the slogan, I believe in a nicer world, which now has a whole other layer of resonance when we're mm-hmm. talking about the protests that are going on out there. Mm-hmm. And the assumption is probably, hey, to some, you're putting this shirt out to capitalize on the moment, right? I can't worry about that though, because I know yeah. why we made it, you know? And I also do think that the idea of a nicer world is a great thing. Mm-hmm. I know at Super Nice Club, we get a little bit, paralyzed sometimes wondering if we're putting out a message and that message can be uh misconstrued as taking advantage of a moment and it's it's Mm -hmm. tough i can only imagine that a larger brand would be it might be part of the reason why they don't say quite so much Mm -hmm. and that that's that's shown its face uh you've had a, a bunch of articles come out where you see what's happening to the brands who voice their opinion uh or who misspeak and they're getting crucified for it. Yeah. So, you know, it is something to definitely consider. Fortunately, because I am African-American, the, the renegade mentality that I have, just the cavalier, I'd say is probably a better term to use. The cavalier mentality that I have has helped me a lot because, again, to the point, when I feel like I want to do something, I do it. If that's designing a product, for example, I was in the the Narcos phase of my career um, that I was doing the Narcos merchandise for Netflix. And it was just like cocaine was on my mind 24 hours a day, like just naturally for me having to be in that mode to produce that collection. So I made a shirt and a sweatshirt with just like a, a solid brick of cocaine. And I'm just like, I never once thought that you probably cannot release this in like certain regions of the world just because of the nature of it. And I didn't really care. I dropped the shirt. We sold it in Milan, in Paris during the showroom and the people bought it. Granted, some areas of the world, like the Middle East, for example, they couldn't purchase it, you know, again, due to the content, but it's moments like that where those products then also become like part of the iconic resume where it's like, man, remember when they dropped that, you know, remember when they did this. So I think I do get a pass to a degree, which is in life, this is probably one of the few instances where being an African-American does get you a pass that is, you know, beneficial, but I think that I have to worry about it less is what my point is. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I would certainly think that you would worry about putting out a message uh, about equality and basic human decency and rights mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, less than, you know, a middle-class white guy like myself. Was, yeah. You know, if you put that message out in the middle of the nation's largest, well, you know, one of the nation's largest uh, uh, protest um, mm-hmm. uprisings, if you will, which I hope is not over. I hope it continues mm-hmm. and continues and continues. 
yeah, it, it, it can be seen in different ways. For me, I just have to say, I don't care. I know where my heart is. I know what I'm doing. I'm also a small, small brand. Like, who's going to mm-hmm. come? And, and But the people who listen to this podcast, you know, they want some consistency from some from mm-hmm. Super Nice Club. They want some integrity. They don't want to think, oh, yeah, I'm wearing the Super Nice Club hat. And they're just, you know, cashing in on the moment. So I do have mm-hmm. to kind of think about that, right? Mm-hmm. And hope that I've established enough of a personal connection with everybody. Hi, everybody. If you're listening, do we have a personal connection? Do you feel like we're, I mean, let me know. I think we do. Call me. Just, just let's make a personal connection. 707-235-1026. That's my mobile number. Okay. Um, Is that your real number? Yeah, that's my real number. Um, and by the way, we do a, we do a, we do a plug every you know. I gotta I gotta give a shout out to my sponsors, and that is you guys, members of the Super Nice Club. So thank you for being members. Thank you for supporting this really simple goal of just making the world ten percent nicer. You know, whatever that means to you, whatever you need to do to be a little nicer, to respond rather than react, to just. Take a little time to better yourself and your lives. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And by the way, Chaz, by being on this podcast, you're jumped into the club. So, so thanks for that, man. Um, Not a problem. Favorite all-time designers, people you're working with right now, who who just consistently inspires you in the in the fashion industry and outside of it? Mm, all-time greatest in my book, probably Carl Lagerfeld. Like his consistency across, I mean, because if you think about it, he was producing for Chanel, for Fendi, for Carl, and I would imagine for some other brands. And he did, man, I don't even know how many seasons to do three brands, what, three to four seasons a year for more than a decade. Like, I mean, it was well over a decade, but just if you look at 10 years, that is insane. Like the goat status. Then I'd say Phoebe Philo is definitely second. I mean, Celine, when she was in control, was probably one of the cleanest and most consistent brands that I've ever seen. Granted, it was only women's wear till Heidi came in, but it's just man you have there is skill in making something that simple and that elegant and she just nailed it nailed it it's really hard today because i'm i'm used to that and what that meant for fashion and what they meant to fashion so when i see what we have today it's less skill and more influence I think is the the best way to put it. There are less people who get the, the spotlight that have true talent. And this may be why it's hard for me to give you the names of people who I would consider to be like that skilled and talented today. I think it's the miseducation on what the, the term luxury means. And some people may say, well, now is the time for us to shape the new luxury. And that I get. But I think if you're going to reshape, then you also need to use a new word. And that's just how, I mean, not granted, that's my opinion, but right. you can't call Rolls Royce luxury for, you know, 70 years. And then Hyundai comes out with a, a knock and then say, this is luxury. And with the intent of that meaning that you are, comparing this Hyundai one-to-one with the Rolls-Royce. I I just, I don't see how that works. Okay, so you just told us who inspires you. Who do you hope to inspire with your career, at least your career to date? I mean, that's an interesting question because I've never been asked that question. Um, Wow. I guess I don't even want to say the next generation because I still feel like I'm a part of this generation Um, because I am so young. I'd say the younger generation really wow that's a tough question because it's not i don't feel like there's one specific demographic or group of people that i intend or plan on inspiring because usually when i hear the thanks and the and i hear from those who i have inspired it's such a different mix of individuals to even be able to label them collectively 
So I'd say any and everyone, really. That's great. I mean, I, I'm doing it for the art of the art. Right. And not necessarily anything else. Everything else is honestly a byproduct. Like the money, the all that other stuff. <clears throat> if you do anything great, that'll naturally come. So it sounds that's like not... You hope to inspire your, your, your audience. Exactly. Yeah. All right. That's art. Exactly. That's, that's the role of the artist. You have a huge passion for design and clothing, which is clear. Mm -hmm. let's, let's, let's real quick, before we end this, let's talk <laughs> about cars, automobiles, room, yes. room. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, tell me about your love of cars and, and how you've kind of turned that into a parallel career. Yeah, I mean, I went from someone aspiring to have the cars that I saw to becoming a, a customer and purchasing the cars that I, I saw growing up and wanted as a kid to then after purchasing, having the power and the influence with the dealerships and the manufacturers to then turn that into, you know, some form of a, a business by just sharing the experiences that I have driving these cars with others who may not necessarily have the chance to do so. But most people may say, well, can I just go to a rental company and, you know, rent a Ferrari or a Lamborghini for the day? And the answer is yes, you can. But where it differs is the experiences that we offer with the cars. It's, it's much more of a curated experience. So yes, you can drive a car, but the first question that someone asks themselves when they rent a car is, okay, where am I going? Or you literally have to plan your day around the time that you have that car. So I've seen people do the dumbest things in these rental cars because they have to return it the next day. And that's not really a way to enjoy the car per se. So what we found is that if you can give someone a, a list or an itinerary with other people to say, hey, now that you have the car that you've always wanted to drive, here are some things to fill the day with others who share that passion that you might enjoy. And this is the company you started with your with your partners, Race to Grace, right? Correct. Right, Race to Grace. Uh, yes. What's that? Is that website just race to grace .com? I believe so. The two may be T-O. Right. Okay. And you were going, you said earlier that you were going, I think before we started recording, that you were going to have an Aston Martin dropped off at my place? Or was that the, uh, your, your <laughs> Eleanor? Or was that your Eleanor? I don't remember okay. which, or was it both? Man, I... I think uh, that was a preview of the Eleanor. Oh. And I think you were going to purchase a convertible LaFerrari for my birthday, I think, was the concept. Oh, is that what it was? I thought I said Monza. I thought I said 63 Monza. <laughs> pretty sure. Pretty sure it was Monza. It's pretty much the same car. Right. Same, same, but very different. Yeah. Those Aston Martins. <laughs> I saw the video, the one where you're driving through Scotland. And those Aston Martins are just beautiful creatures. They really are. Yeah, it's it's an interesting car, the Aston Martin. I mean, it's very it's a very luxurious uh, automobile. It's it has the best you know exhaust sound uh, and things like that. But they took a long time to to catch up to the current times, and I wouldn't even say they're they're there now. But it's kind of a you buy an Aston Martin just for the heritage and less for the gadgets and the gadgets. Um, well, I, you're a fascinating guy, Chaz. Again, just glad to have you on here. Talk about fashion and cars, and we could just go on and on. Unfortunately, uh, you've got things to do, so I'm going to have to let you go. But two quick things. One, we have a Super Nice Club challenge. And so if you have anything that you want to issue a challenge to the, the Super Nice Club members, now's the time. Something they can do to make the world a nicer place. Got anything? That is a good one. Actually, the challenge that I would propose or throw out there is for all of the, the members to support at least one truly Black-owned business a day, if possible. All right. That's great. That shouldn't be that difficult. The challenge there is... Is, is identifying and finding them, right? 
Exactly. And they are compiling or they're starting to compile lists. Uh, it's even in a discussion that we're having at, at our firm as to how we can create like a master list, if you will, that people can refer back to, you know, no matter what city they're in to, to find these or to help find these. But given the, the current circumstance, you're starting to see a lot more of local people mm-hmm. just start to, you know, post these things publicly for their, their communities. I'm thinking so, that's going to be a short list in Brentwood. <laughs> Look, I can pull up and just say I'm, I'm one of those businesses in Brentwood if, if you guys need somewhere to shop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, also, I like the challenge. So, so everybody, do your best. Support Black-owned businesses. That's the challenge for today. I'm, I'm up. I'm going to take it. During COVID, really tough, but it doesn't mean that when you need to buy something online, you can't do the same thing. And so lastly, Chaz, do you have a question for me? Mm. Yes, actually. All right. In light of recent events, what steps are you and your company taking to be on the right side of this movement? That's a great question. So first of all, I had to kind of disabuse myself of this thought that I already knew a lot on it, but that I had read biographies and autobiographies of various Black Panther leaders that I have read on the history of the African-American movement, all of these things, because it's just been kind of every revolutionary struggle has always fascinated me, whether it's African-American or otherwise, or African, um, Thomas Sankara, uh, Biko, these others, these, these struggles, these sort of social uh, injustices have, have angered me since I was a young kid, right? It's never made sense of them. It's kind of why the Super Nice Club exists, a natural extension of my natural path. I'm really, I really, I'm realizing that I really don't know anything. And so what I've been doing is going back, um, finding lists of suggested, I never saw 13th, right? Mm-hmm. I never saw the 13th. So there's a movie list. There's a, a gray list. I think I mentioned this in the last podcast that I saw DeMarcus Cousins post. And there's a list of films that, you know, you got to watch if you want to educate yourself. So going through that list, there's a, a, a radio program that's like sort of the history of this stuff been listening to. So trying to do daily education, but bigger than that, trying to pass that education on to my kids, right? My uh, 17-year-old Justice, who is getting my copy. I've had a copy of Malcolm, the autobiography of Malcolm X since I was 18, little yellow page paperback. <laughs> He's coming by after this podcast. He's getting that copy, and I'm going to make him read it. In terms of, and listening better, right? It's the hardest thing to do. It's the hardest thing to listen, 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 because look, the African-American experience is not this homogeneous thing. People have different opinions and different ideas, and they'll push back in different ways. And for the majority, sometimes it's hard to hear. And sometimes somebody's saying something that truly isn't fair. And then you're throwing everything. This is the thing that happens a lot is somebody's like, well, in this instance, it was bullshit. And so then they like, well, then it's all bullshit. No, you've got to listen and you just got to keep listening and realize that 400 years of, of anger, it's going to take a while to come out. It's mm-hmm. going to take a while to heal, but we have to just kind of sit and listen and take it. That's been the big thing for me. As far as my business, uh, as far as freelancing as a creative director, that I've always chosen my clients carefully. Like I only work on big projects with really good people. If they're not good people, I don't take the job. And sometimes that affects me financially in a big way. Uh, as far as Super Nice Club goes, I would like to do some collaborations that are legit, that, that contribute. You know, um, in the heat of all of this, I haven't been looking hard because there's just so much noise out there. And I feel like, why am I looking all of a sudden now, right? Mm-hmm. And that makes me feel a little bit uh, bad. But it's, that's just the case. I am looking now. You know, I, I don't live this. I don't live the African-American experience every day. I get fired up and angry and indignant like, like most good, normal, nice, decent humans do. But then that only lasts for a few days. And then I'm like, oh, man, I got to get this project done. I got to do this. I got to do that. The anger fades away until the next flare up. And so what can I do to, to be more consistently mindful of this as an everyday thing 
to share that burden a little more? Um, I don't know yet, but I'm trying to figure it out. It's a good enough response that shows a start. So yeah. we all just got to start. Appreciate it. We all just got to start. All right. So where can people find you online? What's the easiest way for people who are like, this dude's really interesting. I've got 1200 bucks. I want to spend on a pearl uh, <laughs> embroidered shirt. No, seriously. What's the best place? Uh, Instagram for sure. Uh, at Chaz A. Jordan. Yeah. Uh, laundered is laundered works corp c-o-r-p dot com and a nominate is i-h-n-o-m-u-h-n-i-t dot c-o also both brands on instagram awesome all right hey really thank you so much chaz for being on and uh i will talk to you later i'll see you in the world one of these days yes i'll stop by soon with the car Probably this weekend. <laughs> Thanks, man. All right, All right, man. Thank you so much for having me. There you have it, folks. A super nice conversation with Chaz Jordan. A couple of super nice takeaways. My first is that Chaz clearly knows his stuff. And he knows that he knows it. The more I talk with people who have successfully made their passion into their careers, the more I realize the obvious, which is the power of this confidence to attract and sustain success. When you're good at something and you know it, denying that or being too humble, it can actually be disempowering. So own what you know. Own your greatness. Self-confidence is sexy. And yeah, it's super nice. My other takeaway when I listen back on this conversation is that specifically, Chaz knows the history of his industry. And that, that's what gives him the license to disregard some of its more hallowed traditions. It's like that, that old advice given to young writers. Don't break the rules of grammar until you know the rules of grammar. Then you can do it creatively, artistically, playfully, successfully. All right. So don't forget to subscribe to Nice Work wherever you get your podcast. And most definitely leave a review, as long as it's a good one. We'd love to hear from you, so message us here uh, on Facebook, Instagram, plain old email, Todd, Todd of the 1D at superniceclub.com, or just call me directly now that you have my phone number. And please, to be a member of the Super Nice Club, all you have to do is follow us on Instagram or Facebook and be a little nicer. And if you want to represent with some sweet, super nice street fashion, head over to superniceclub.com and use discount code SuperNiceLagerfeld for 15% off. All right. Stay nice, everyone.